Uh, we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. And this week we have an episode that is actually,、uh, you know, very relevant to what's been happening around this country or even the world recently. Yeah. Well, this is this is the take two of, of、yeah. the same topic. So, ben and I recorded this episode the last week, but we were unsatisfied with how it turned out. So we actually are re-recording it.、Um, I think our thoughts are a lot more clarified now, and that was sort of a take one was sort of a discussion for us to really clarify and crystallize what we think about this thing. But should we tell them what what we're gonna do today, Ben? Yeah, so we're gonna touch on the systemic racial issues in food and agriculture, right?、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, I, I mean, at first we wanted to be trendy and right get an episode <laughs> out, N- not to be trendy, but when when、um, I think we're, we're recording on June twenty first, but it was very timely. Yeah,、right? it was.、Uh, well, but originally we thought we could have gotten this episode out like ten days ago. Or or a、right. week ago to、right. um, catch on more of the discussion, timely discussion about、uh, racism and systemic racism in the U.S.、Mm-hmm. Right, with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that was going on. Right. Yes. Yes. So we had、um, you 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 know we're definitely、uh, on top of what happens、uh, overall in, in the society, but we just wanted a little bit more focus on the. Systemic racial issues within the food and agriculture type of、uh, situations,、mm-hmm. right? And it does exist,、um, right? But our last conversation was was very fragmented, right? So、mm-hmm. it, it's right. really difficult to turn out. It turns out、right. that to put one of、right. these episodes together. Totally, I think most of our episode topics have been very technical in nature,、um, because you know both Ben and I were in STEM. We are scientists. Being we are very comfortable and familiar with talking about technical details and trends.、Um, so, but when it comes to systemic racist、uh, systemic racial issues within food、um, and within agriculture, I think there's a lot. Of systemic social issues in play too, so I think that you know our first take we really worked through some of some of the ideas we had, and then I think this time round we'll be better poised to sort of articulate our thoughts and gather together、um, both the facts but also our opinions on on the issue. Yeah, right. So. I I mean, last time we just kind of I I don't know we, we people didn't really listen to our previous ab- abolished recording, but <laughs> <laughs> but I did a little bit. So yeah,、uh, why don't yeah. we just kick off by、um, sure you know showing some facts and we did a little bit of research and most、mm-hmm. of these attributed to a、uh, Instagram account right right Food、mm-hmm. Science Bay. Uh, this is the counter account for food science. <laughs>、uh, so food babe, right? Yep. Yeah. So food babe was the popular science, popular culture,、uh, quote unquote healthy eating account. But food、right. science babe is focused on,、uh, I don't know, like scientific evidence of food and uh, scientific uh, findings and guidance of di- diets, or how how would you? You you follow her on Instagram. I I followed them.、Um, it it's a, it's very factual based, right? Some people might be asking, 
oh, is this food coloring dangerous for me? What is GMO food all about?、Mm-hmm. I think、um, Food Science Babe is the type of account that would touch on issues like that, where there is a big science component. It's very focused on science communication、um, and in educating、um, the audience. On some of these issues, so definitely check them out. And you know, Food Science Babe, the Instagram account has two posts that I really recommend. One is structural racism in the U.S. food system,、um, mm-hmm. focusing on agriculture, and then the other one focuses on food insecurity. And actually, you know, looking at some of these posts is what gave us sort of a direction on how. Uh, on on some of the issues that we'll t- touch on in this episode, but definitely check those posts out for more information. There's a lot of liter- literature linked in her account as well. Yeah, so we were just surprised or struck by one of the posts, right? Well, it's like one tab of the the overall post.、Um, mm-hmm. It quotes. Fourteen、uh, percent farm owned operator were black or African American、uh, in. 1920s, right? Where there were like 14 percent or even more, or black-owned farms, but、mm-hmm. by 2012,、um, it's only 1.5 percent. Right. Right. So 1.5 percent of the farm were owned by blacks、uh, in the U.S.、Mm-hmm. So there were like a lot of decline of farming in the black community, and we also cross-referenced another. Guardian article was、uh, also telling about how,、uh, y- you know, they they focused on like a more storified example with like one f-、um, black farmer in I forgot was that in Virginia or uh uh I believe so I can check but go on yeah so that like about how、uh, this this farmer、um, was struggling of getting loans or getting financial helps from USDA. And、mm-hmm. um, there were just and the article further elaborated with other examples of how USDA has systematically discriminate,、um, you know, black and、um, uh, Native Americans and、um, Latino Americans, and how how they're not getting the equivalent of support from、uh, mm-hmm. USDA,、right. especially、right. on the financial side. Right. right, and and the、mm. financial side is really important, right? Because as a farmer, if you think about, you know, farming is a very seasonal activity.、Um, mm-hmm. Your harvest they don't come consistently throughout the year, right? Depending on t- on what type of crop you cultivate. So a big part of farming、um, is farmers need operating money every year, and you need credit every year. So you need that access to credit, and you know a lot of farmers will go to USDA for some of those resources, financial or otherwise. But it's pretty well known in the industry that traditionally, and I don't know to to what degree this is still happening, but traditionally the USDA has discriminated against Black Native American. Need、uh, Latino and also women farmers when it comes、yeah. to loans and support.、Right? So they so basically they, just support white. Right. right. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Right.、Uh, well, we, which we'll touch on later, even even for the quote unquote next generation of farmers, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs>、um, But I think what we see here is a very clear cut example of you know some of the systemic、um, issues that are preventing. Equitable access for all people in order to, you know, essentially run their farms and run their businesses, right?、Yeah. And I think we see、mm-hmm. that,、um, you know, we see the compound effect of this over many, many years.、Um, the Guardian article that Ben referred to 
also talked about how um, you know black farmers today make less than forty thousand dollars annually compared to over a hundred and ninety thousand by white farmers, right? Part of the reason wow. is also because their acreage is about a quarter of white farmers. Um, so, so, so they're really just uh, operating like smaller scale farms. And Correct. Like in the overall farming industry, typically nowadays, the smaller your farm, the less of a voice or negotiating power that you have to the big agriculture corps. Like, like you know, historically, um, you know, notorious or you know, I mean, failure of PR of right, like Monsanto's, for example. Right. Right. So like, <laughs> that, that's a lot of adjective to. To describe Monsanto's, yeah. but um, you know that that just that's just like an example there, right? So so the smaller the farm, like it's basically an injustice issue with you mm-hmm. know being in a more vulnerable group of not a, not getting enough government help would first mm-hmm. harm you, and it will right. further even harm you more because you're right. in this industry where you would need to be at least being resourceful to then make more money right or or at least to survive in the industry right. because if you're right. too small people just don't look at you seriously in in the farm industry and they would control or squeeze every single dollar or the, every single crop that mm-hmm. you um you produce right you're you're completely right i think in uh-huh. agriculture you know the smaller you are the less bargaining power you have but mm-hmm. the, traditionally because of some of these governmental policies and treatments towards um, communities of color, especially to the black community, what we're seeing is this This is really, this is a, a comp- compound effect over many, many years mm-hmm. that is still being felt very strongly today in farming. Yeah, and, and uh, exactly. Like USDA didn't just like take land away from the black communities, right? Because mm-hmm. it was just like they were put out of business partially based off USDA, uh, mm-hmm. because the later effects that you said, right? Because mm-hmm. like they, they won't be able to get competitive corps, they, their seat sucks, they can't go on to, uh, like they, they basically can't get the snowball rolling for the modern right, farming right. game, right? So, and I think that we, we talk about this example in farming and agriculture, but I think, you know, not to go too far from our original topic, but I think this sort of compound snowballing effect is being seen in other areas um, mm-hmm. where black communities are suffering today from because of in the US because of the history of slavery, right? Totally. Be it equitable education, you know, segregation was still happening not that long ago. People mm-hmm. had different water fountains for white people versus black people. Um, so, you know, I think we can see very clearly from this food example how just abolishing or changing the policies of a system, you know, and implementing that change is great, but it's also going to take a long time for us to see that equitable access come back up. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I completely agree because this is not just a USDA problem or it's not just an agriculture problem, right? Because if you extend it out, um, operating a farm is operating a business and mm-hmm. that business aspect kind of infiltrates into all aspects of the society. The end result, which we see now is, you know, black farmers are diminishing. They, they like, there's not a lot of 
black farmers anymore. Like just just right. overall, I think we can also kind of do the transition to our next um, segment here, or uh, mm-hmm. we we just also connecting back to our own experiences of being in the food science program in the past yeah, at universities. Uh, we spend a lot of time with um, you know quote unquote farm kids. Um, they might not. They they may not be all in food science, right? But they're in like other like ag business, ag economics, uh, those majors. Um, but rarely do you see any black people, right? They're right. like the younger generations are all you know predominantly white in in, mm-hmm. in our in our um, college of agriculture. Right. So Ben yeah. and I both went to U of M. Uh, we mm-hmm. were both food science major in the College of Food and Agricultural and Natural Resources. So, um, and I think one thing that we both noticed in our classes is that we don't have a single black classmate in any no. of our food science major <laughs> classes. Not a single one. No. And the only black classmate I've ever had in my STEM classes, besides, you know, like chemistry 101 or physics 101, besides yeah. those classes, right? The only food science related classes where I had a black classmate was in nutrition, um, principles uh-huh. in nutrition. And I think, you know, this this is not just because food science in general doesn't really draw that many um, black students as a major, but also because I think there's a bigger issue here where, you know, black and Latino students Typically, also, there's been statistics showing that they leave STEM majors at a far higher rate than their white peers, right? Yep, totally. I I agree. And, and, and even I just want to stack even on top of that as we're recording, I was thinking, you know, the future farmers of America, FFA, right? That's uh-huh. like an our organization of, you know, rural communities. Uh, well, some of them may be suburban communities, too, for um high school and middle school children um, or teenagers to uh, get exposed to agriculture and um, you know they organize different type of competitions and their the statewide convention happens at mm-hmm. the ag college of their corresponding state right so because mm-hmm. we had that when we we're in minnesota there were like right. loads of yellow uh, school buses coming in from all over the state just to participate and mm-hmm. then um, at Kansas, that happened to me. I don't know if you saw them in Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, they, they all wear their uniforms like uh, right. with their county uh, seal on the back. <laughs> like you can identify who, who, where their teams are, but they all wear the Navy type of um, uniform. Yeah, I came in. Um, but but I mean, th- sure, they're all in uniforms. They they, they, they I mean, they, they certainly are, um, you know, in different type of agriculture business. But mm-hmm. one commonality is like they're basically all white. Right. right? But right. it could also be our locations of the schools, like mm-hmm. in Minnesota, Kansas, Ohio. Well, Ohio may be a little bit more, um, you know, diverse in, in terms mm-hmm. of like the farming community minnesota has minnesota has some uh, Hmong communities and asian american farming communities right, right. Uh, but they're smaller and mostly you know urban mm-hmm. uh, uh, agriculture i think a lot of it is also you know like you said um not just food science but all of these agricultural majors draw from people people who you know grew up on a farm maybe are a little bit more drawn to some of these majors and the mm-hmm. outreach also sometimes might be more towards that direct that direction um, but 
I I wonder if there are some other ways to get people interested in food science beyond um, what's traditionally, like you said, campus visits from kids in a certain county. Is there a way to get more people aware of, oh, this is a career possibility for you. You don't have to have a farming background Mm -hmm. to come into food science. You just have to love science or like science and be interested, right? I think when STEM majors are being, you know, when STEM majors are being, I guess, um, promoted towards high school students, middle school students, it's typically, oh, physics, chemistry, computer science. And Mm -hmm. I think some of the more environmental sciences, agricultural sciences, food sciences, maybe that traditionally hasn't had have as much of a presence in some of those right. marketing I, done towards high school students. I totally agree. Yeah. So what exactly like you said there, it's like how can we kind of market or position STEM majors also towards people's life? Mm-hmm. Right. Like making a spaceship, that's that's really cool. But like that's not what you encounter every day. But that mm-hmm. would but that's like a source of inspiration for a lot of people to go into STEM. It's like right. they want to build a racket. They want to do kill stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Do like, yeah, Elon. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Pays his employee well and all that, right? But but like at the same time, like say say in agriculture and food, it's it's nothing quote unquote foreign about it. And actually, you know, people get pretty competitive pace in the end. Mm -hmm. Um just being in food science overall. I I think I, I think, you know, this industry has needs more diversity for sure. Mm-hmm. That's that's like being in it. We we all observe like also because right. we kind of talk about the two end of the spectrum, right? We talk about how farmers and how like the future generations. But basically, from these two ends of the spectrum, you kind of can know the the current employees or the current professionals in the industry are not super diverse. Like especially right. on the R and D side or in the corporate side settings, a hundred percent. And you know what's funny is you know you if you look at the food culture of America, look at the restaurants, mm-hmm. look at what people like to order for takeout. America as a country is open to diverse foods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not just I'm not just talking about Panda Express or chicken. I'm talking about you know people who grew up in small towns, they know about bibimbap, they know about pulgogi, they know yeah. about all of these different things, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems like the American public is ready to take on and, you know, they enjoy all of these food cuisines, but we don't see that same diversity reflected in the workforce that makes up the food industry, especially on the R&D side, right, which I right, find right. very surprising. Because which are you essentially your food, STEM people. Right. right. And you think Culinary about your food, is different. But you think about your food product developers, um, they're making food, they're creating innovations, they are coming up with, you know, new cuisines for this frozen meal kit that they have, but they're all white. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, and exactly. I, just find, I just find that, you know, a little bit ironic. And, you know, I, I used to intern at a frozen food company in, in Minnesota. And, you know, we were launching a new line of cuisine where we had this Korean version um, of mixed rice and we had yeah you know, Asian inspired dishes, etc. And people loved it. But I, mm-hmm. I, I just I just feel that it's really ironic that the consumers we're serving and that profile is not reflected in our workforce. 
right? right and right, and right. part of it might also be in 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 a, as as a hiring manager, um, maybe there's also not enough people. You know, when you're hiring, there just was isn't as much diversity um, mm-hmm. coming out from food science. Graduate uh, food science education that might be part of it, right? How do we not just attract people into food science, but also, you know, help them find ways to stay there? Because as a stay as a STEM student,、um, especially if you're a minority or if you're black or Latino, it's a lot easier. Like like the dropout rate from STEM is higher for these communities. Compared to some other ethnic groups,、right. um, so I think there there there's something that can be done in that area. But also as a as a hiring manager, you know, it, it's you don't get a lot of choice sometimes, right? <laughs> right. That's that's like another thing. It's it, it's it it kind of sucks from the bottom, right? It's it's not it's nothing that we can really like. Not an individual sector would be able to change the landscape. Right, like I, I like your point on how、uh, attracting or properly advertising.、Um, I don't know how we call these like life-related STEM majors, or、mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, I guess everything is kind of life-related. But I don't know how. Like it's like soft life science. It's like non bio, non biology life science, or I don't know how to how do you define yeah, this. Yeah, how how would you how would you categorize what we do, right? Like、yeah. majors like plant science, horticulture science, food science, environmental sciences. I think the OG term was called like home economics or something. Seriously. <laughs> I think was so. Was that what it was called? I thought home、uh, economics was like that class people took in high school where they learned to cook and to sew, like a rip in their clothes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think in the past,、um, that's how some of the majors were、uh, evolved. Right.、Um, but anyway, so so like I mean, people get what we mean, right? So like these type of majors it needs more representations, right? And it needs more people to participate and. I feel like as current professionals, we have、uh, we have definitely realized it, and、uh, we 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 also should take some more actions,、um, mm-hmm. you know, on our individual basis and probably at the corporate level, right? So, yeah. So like, I think Ben and I were discussing right before recording.、Um, you know, this is obviously a complex social issue with many different distinct layers, and there's no one solution to target everything, right? We、mm-hmm. all have to work together in multiple facets、um, in order to make sure that you know everything is more equitable and accessible for our you know, our black peers,、um, and our also not just black peers, but also right now we're focusing on you know the black community. But I think in general, if you're a non-white person in food science, your experience might be a little bit different.、Mm-hmm. Um, so and. To combat some of these issues, there it feels like you know there are things that you can do at an individual level, be it with yourself,、uh, self education, addressing your own implicit bias, or、um, talking to friends and family. Right, that's more at the individual level, and then there's also at the more systematic level, such as at a corporate level. Let's say you work for a food organ, you work for a food company, right,、mm-hmm. and you know your company. 
uh, made a LinkedIn post with a black square saying that Black Lives Matter, but then are they actually holding themselves up to that commitment in supporting Black lives and communities? As an employee, you do have some say in making sure that your corporate, um, you know, it, that your company holds its words uh, true and actually makes consistent contribution um, to addressing some of these issues yeah, totally. Within the company, but also beyond. Yeah, right, right, right. Because right. you, I mean, once the individual realizes and can pick up the, the what's the real deal, it will be mm -hmm. very easy or obvious to judge how the mm -hmm. overall our organization is doing the work. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. right. And 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 not to <laughs> not to promote my own company or anything, but uh -huh. I, but you know I, I think so. Our CEO uh, did send out a message recently. Um, PepsiCo did pledge four hundred million dollars over the next five years in supporting Black communities, and um, our our CEO Ramon he he mentioned that he received a letter recently from a longtime PepsiCo associate to express some of the pain that, you know, our colleagues feel and um, disappointment with some of PepsiCo's past decisions. So I think, you know, and, and, and that's probably one of the many driving forces uh, that led to PepsiCo pledging that $400 million over the next five years. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, and a lot of times we feel that, oh, I'm in this big corporate structure and I don't really have a voice in doing anything. Well, you might have more of a voice than you initially initially imagined, right? And I think it, it, mm -hmm. it you know, ultimately a lot of things boil down to money. So and yeah. what a company has a lot of is money. A lot, yeah. So so I feel like, yeah, definitely that's, that's something first, you know, awareness, it's, it's really important. Right or or like these type of um, explicit attention mm -hmm. to to certain um, you know regardless it's injustice bias or whatever um, mm -hmm. but they needs to be made av available knowledge to people right because um, like a few days ago we celebrate Juneteenth right it was yep. it was like a never it was such an underseen. Uh, holiday per se, right? Right, or right. Memorial Day for, for um, for 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 the Black community. Um, and to be quite honestly, like, I didn't know this before. I I had no I idea what Juneteenth was what until this year. Yeah, like You're we, right. like you and I are not like born raised in the U.S. But right. like we've been here. Uh, you you'd imagine like we've been been here long enough to know that. Sure. But like no, no one. There, there's no, a single situation that this was brought up yeah and my <sighs> seven years in the united states i've never even heard the word juneteenth until recently and i think that speaks to the type of stories that you know history tells us um mm -hmm. and 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 what is chosen to be called history or what's chosen to be showcased in popular media that that's that affects how we think about things. So I think it's really good that attention is being called to this. And I think that's also why, you know, Ben and I wanted to put out this episode, um, even though we were unsure of how it might be received, or we might say things that, you know, 
might be wrong, etc. I think it's so important to call out to some of these issues, even if we might make mistakes doing so, right? Yeah, just to talk about it. I, I feel yeah. that's that's like a really big step forward than、mm-hmm. intentionally to avoid these or to、right. or, or to just like find another. Type of self justification of like, oh, what about we just talk about like the entire human being, like celebrate the greatness of like, <laughs> how things have been done, like for the whole civilization, like like all that stuff, right? Like like you can you can like kind of self you 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 literally have like a little caliber here that you can pull to get something、right. out of it. Like it's 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 not the easiest thing to. Um, just deliberately talk about one thing,、mm-hmm. and and something that you may not be very familiar with, or you would like to e- learn more yet have the chance to experience it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、right. yeah. So I、uh-huh. think we touch on,、um, you know, we touch on、um, systematic issues within our agricultural system against. You know the black community, and also we talk about the education aspect, especially in undergraduate STEM education.、And、I think one thing that is also quite persistent, and that where where you see a racial difference in、um, outcomes, is in terms of food security, food accessibility, and health disparity when it comes to yeah. nutrition. Yeah, when it comes to nutrition, that's another you know related, much related field to to our own、uh, profession, right? So. Um, according to Feed America, Feeding America, you know, one out of four African American children is still、uh, struggle to have、um, the proper nutrition intake, right?、Mm-hmm. So, so compared to a much lower number in the national overall, and of course, compared to you know white demographic, right?、Um, right. So, so this is just a very、um, You know, it's a known thing, right? It's it's not like、mm-hmm. being in. We scratch. We only scratch the surface of public nutrition,、um, be just because we took like one or two courses and kind of follow up in the、mm-hmm. in, in in the new sections on nutrition, public nutrition. But this isn't anything. And and I mean, if we talk about this to just like a random stranger on, on the street. It might not be that astonishing of a fact, right, right? Right. I think it's it's a very persistent issue that you know people might sort of have an idea about, but we really not we we really never stop to think that how is it possible in one one of the richest country in the world that you know a quarter of African American kids still have trouble getting consistent meals and yeah, proper, proper nutrition, yeah. right? That is a、mm-hmm. bit mind boggling. Um, when yeah, we live but, in but such then, an industrialized, wealthy nation.、Mm-hmm. But then,、um, if you th- look at like U.S.,、mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it's like if you know a little bit about the U.S. and you 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 saw those numbers, you were like, yeah, that's like pretty true about like how food insecurity and disparity works in this country. Right, <laughs> right. right. They're, they're、yeah. just they're just not equally distributed. Right, and I think.、Uh, 
when you know we learned about food deserts a little bit back in um, our undergraduate days, and you know how for some people getting groceries might be oh hopping into the car, driving fifteen to twenty minutes to a supermarket, loading up on your groceries, and driving back home.、Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of other people, right, trying to get access to Um, fruits and vegetables, and not just canned goods from the corner shop. That might require, you know, like a two-hour or three-hour commute, just because they have to wait for the bus, they have to get on the bus,、mm-hmm. transfer, and then take another bus, and then walk another distance just to get to a grocery store that you know will have、um, fresh produce, know, or... fresh produce,、uh-huh. right? And and and. I think people don't realize that it is very taxing when you already have so many different things going on to worry about how you know your journey just to get food from the grocery store. Right,、totally. that's like another few hours out of your、yeah. already busy day. If you're working like three part-time jobs at the same time and you have kids, I think people don't realize that you know this is this is this is a struggle.、Mm-hmm. Yes, totally.、Right? And and I mean, of course, this is. Not equally distributed throughout the entire society, right? So、mm-hmm. more、um, black communities are experiencing what you just described,、right. and there are a lot of what they call urban food deserts,、mm-hmm. right? So those are places where maybe in the well, based on population density, right? A a、uh, urban populated area would not have a grocery store within like a five mile radius. Five miles doesn't sound like that big of an area, right? It's not like a giant desert per se, like、right. without a proper grocery store. But、um, that five within that five miles of a radius, there might be hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands people live within that area, right? Those、mm-hmm. people will not have access, easy access to fresh produce, to、uh, healthy ingredients, or even to just、um, You know, quote unquote, normal grocery stuff,、mm-hmm. right? Right, right.、Mm-hmm. If you are relying on, um, you think about, you know, if you're relying on corner shops, a lot of times these corner shops, um, might only have, you know, canned beans, or they might have onions and garlic, but they won't have, you know, all these different fruits and vegetables. Um, that you、mm-hmm. might you 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 might want because you know what we we actually did a episode on processed food in the past and processed food has brought us a lot of good but you know having a diet a hundred percent composed of canned food is also not you know right and that's you, you, <laughs> you know、best. corner store also、um, you, you know to some degrees a lot of the food pantries right so if you're living on food pantry、uh, food. And、um, a lot of them, if you were like say say, you know, some people might be on the other side, right? You you you've asked, you've been asked to donate stuff to the food pantry. All they、mm-hmm. want is shelf stable food, right? So right, they want spaghetti, of, they want pasta sauce, they want you know beans, but you can't really donate. You know, let's say I have a lot of broccoli and cauliflower. Well, too bad that's gonna be rotten, right?、Um, By the time、exactly. it gets the person who wants to eat it. So, but like whatever you donate is whatever the source that they will get food,、mm-hmm. right? So, so like、mm-hmm. that's that that's exactly how things get transferred and redistributed, and right, that right. just it, it's a big problem, right? Because、so, right because and you if you connect all these dots with、um, like even the COVID house disparity issue 
um, you know, in, in, in New York, uh, a lot of the minority communities are uh, hit hardest, right? Highest mm-hmm. infection rate. Uh, it's, of course, coming from a lot of the issues of people are working on blue collar jobs, cannot work from home, um, higher living densities. Um, but also a lot of them have underlying health conditions. And probably part of the reason was due to diet and nutrition intakes throughout the years, right? It's not just like a, like they, like COVID hits and people start to eat badly Mm -hmm. and they get COVID. It's not like that. Right, a hundred percent. I think what we see with COVID is COVID really drives, you know, home the differences because COVID hits you differently if you have an underlying health disease, right? If you're Mm -hmm. obese or if your, you know, your cardiac health is not great, um, et cetera. A lot of times, some of these metabolic diseases that are linked to diet can exacerbate, you know, your your symptoms of COVID and how hard you're hit by COVID, yep. right? And I think because the effects of COVID are so much more prevalent where we're seeing deaths and people in ICU and being hooked up to ventilators, it gives a very graphic and almost immediate image of some of those racial disparities in that 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 we we kind of know about but it just brings mm-hmm. it into a clearer light right because a lot of that food insecurity issues we mentioned yes they plague communities where that that are lower income so it, you know everyone can be lower income but i think the the african american community is hit the hardest right if we look yeah. at the 10 counties within the country with the highest food insecurity rate you know these 10 counties are at least 60% african american which is a dis- disproportionate uh, yeah, disproportionate amount right? <laughs> right that that is that is Really, really, really insane. Uh, and, and if um, you think about it, that that ten county was the highest food security rate, uh, higher uh, highest insecurity rate. Correct, Might yeah. also have a really high hit for COVID, COVID. infection rate. May right. also have a very low income income level. Right. Many mm-hmm. of these things has a common source or a common root cause, but it has a lot of different symptoms. Right, different ways of expressing this number, um, mm-hmm. but they all attribute back to the same group of people. That just like very insane. We're just analyzing it from a food and nutrition and agriculture standpoint. But mm-hmm. I guess if you're in a different industry, you can probably pull up different numbers that are right. pointing to a very similar group of people. In the hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, part of the reason why African-American communities and the black communities might be more adversely affected when it comes to food insecurity is also because of traditional racist housing zoning laws that prevent Mm. people from, you know, moving to, you know, prevented people of color from moving to certain neighborhoods, especially wealthier neighborhoods, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these issues just compound over time to, and, and, you know, Ben said it great when he mentioned, we are seeing the symptoms of a very, of a disease that is very rooted throughout history. Um, and th- this manifests itself in many ways besides food accessibility. But I think even with food, food accessibility, we already see such a huge disparity in how different um, 
you know, the black community fares compared to everyone else. Yeah. Um, and I think one, one thing that was really interesting to me and, you know, a little sad as well is that a lot of kids actually don't really have a source of meals that they can count on at home. And they rely a lot mm-hmm. on getting free school lunches you know, yeah. as 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 their source of nutrition. So when it when COVID hit and a lot of schools had to close, some of these kids are not getting their free school lunches anymore. Um, yeah, they were still. I think in New York, you can still go pick up lunches or or actually three meals. Um, right. But but that that just shows how important it is, right? Yeah. Even if there's a like a global pandemic, people mm-hmm. still need it to have. Uh, these lunches ready for kids. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it would be even like a bigger public health crisis uh, down yeah, the road. Definitely, right? If yep. you imagine we've been sitting around for three months and without without all those meals coming into the kids, that will mm-hmm. cause a very very large problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's that's pretty much our discussion. Do you have a food that you want to share? <laughs> I don't think this is a very great episode for that, but... Yeah, maybe not this episode. Um, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, But so, you know, Ben and I, we we, throughout this episode, we touch on three three of the sectors within food where there's uh, prevalent systematic issues when it comes to, you know... um, systematic racial issue, racial issues in terms of accessibility and um you know ranging from agriculture to education to food insecurity and i think you know we we touch on what we know but there's a lot more that we don't know mm-hmm. um so yeah. i think part of trying to be a good ally is also educating ourselves on some of the history of these things and how they came to be so that we may be better allies in the future in terms of, you know, if a situation crops up, you know, we can understand why it is the way it is and help dismantle some of the systems in place to make it a more equal world for everyone. Um, So I hope that it has been a thought-provoking episode for our listeners. Yeah, so that's been a wrap. If you have any discussions that you want to share with us or comments about this episode, you can contact us at fihpodcast at gmail.com. And, um, you know, stay tuned for other episodes that brought by Amanda and I, uh, focusing more on, you know, food science, its future, and um, all the related topics. So we'll see you next time. All right. That's a wrap.